Hello everyone, my name is João and welcome to the Software Crafts Podcast. Today with us we have Dragan. He is based in Berlin and currently works as Principal Engineer at HelloFresh, typically on the search for better ways of working, exploring ends of the spectrums, and helping teams and organizations try out counterintuitive ideas that initially don't make a lot of sense, but end up as completely opposite of that. It's been a long time since he fell in love with extreme programming, domain-driven design, and software as a craft. He's the founder of Software Crafting Serbia Community. Last couple of years, he enjoyed endless discussions connecting theory of constraints, system thinking, lean, and social technical topics. Welcome to the show, and thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for coming, Joel. All right, so bringing to an heuristic, uh, and this one is from uh, your research. We're going to talk more about that later on. But the heuristic is continuous code reviews enable higher team throughput. So uh, what can you tell about around this heuristic and uh, your research? Sure. So, <clears throat> yeah, me coming from the XP community, um, which tends to favor um, way more collaboration than we're kind of used to seeing in the industry, I would say typically. Um, I was really curious to understand how the teams that do these things that they call pull request based async code reviews um, do in terms of a couple of things that I was really, really kind of curious to, to know about. And uh, the, just for the listeners who are not familiar with it, but I would assume lots of the people are um, what is async code review based on the pull request is that um, one developer, uh, you know, typically starts a sprint. There's a start to the sprint. Developers uh, look at the backlog, pull in a ticket. The a single developer starts working on a single ticket. At one point, they you know they change the system, and at one point, they figure out okay, um, I think I'm done. So I would like to invite my peers to get a review of the code that I that they did. So they invite people for review, but because other developers are working on something else in the meantime, they're not able to react immediately. So at one point, you know, after uh, having more time or being more available, they uh, provide a feedback, um, possibly request some changes. The author then in the meantime, because they're waiting for the review, no one really wants to twiddle their thumbs. So what they do is they pull in another thing until they are waiting for the review and the feedback. And once they receive a feedback from a reviewer, they're not able to react immediately because they took uh, work on something else. And then they go back to it. And there are a couple of kind of iterations back and forth, possibly until they converge to a solution and um, the request, the pull request is approved and merged at one point. Right? So there's this kind of this ping pong um, compared to, to like, um, to do more co-creation or collaborative ways of working where the feedback is immediate, there's a high latency and there's also a lower throughput of the feedback that is provided because typically in the pull request, the way that we provide feedback is by writing a, a comment, right? So a written word is also a bit more expensive, or actually quite more expensive than, than a verbal. 
uh, feedback provided and because of that it's also kind of choking the the the, the feedback itself so that's kind of an idea of the pull request based async code reviews and um, I was really curious to understand like again having a hunch uh, and and the experience from the XP which favors um, pair programming and more programming I was really curious to understand how does these way of working affect the engagement on the pull requests, meaning the amount of comments and the amount of engagement we see on the, on the pull request, again, high latency and uh, low throughput. And the other, other side, how much of a wait time is there in the system? Wait time um, being a definition from lean, meaning this work item, let's say this pull request, as it passes through our system, how long of its life cycle is it in a state where it's waiting for someone's attention rather than being uh, actively worked on? So, um, and, and from this study, I got really kind of um, uh, interesting systemic insights. Some of the insights that I got are uh, very much intuitive. So one of those is that uh, this, this um, quote um, never had uh, 300 lines um, pull request that didn't look good to me, meaning um, as, as the size of the PR increases, the engagement of the reviewers tends to go down because, you know, if I get a pull request of 500 lines of code, there's nothing much that I can do at that point in time. Quality is either there or it's not there, most probably is not. Uh, and, you know, I'm not able to course correct, I'm not able to build the quality in. What I do is I just click um, approve a type plus one or looks good to me or lgtm or whatever is a shorthand that we typically use in our team and pray that uh, some of the things that i would have liked to correct in this or kind of provide feedback on are uh, corrected in some future iterations right so what they what they got to see is that like i'm seeing uh, um scatter plot from um, from pretty big uh, data sets of the merged pull request, 500 and 1,000 uh, merged pull requests, for example, is that for the teams that have been doing pull request-based async code reviews, is that as the size of the pull request increases, the engagement on the PRs tends to go exponentially down. Right. So, and on the other hand, you know, as the size of the pull request decreases the engagement tends to go up and the reason for that is that you know all of the reasons that that small batches um, are uh, favorable in lean it uh, you know we are able to course correct we're um, able to build the quality and it takes us less time to review it takes less time for authors to respond and stuff like that right so that's one the insight which was kind of expected or intuitive but when it comes to the to the wait time, that was really interesting. So, um, like just measuring wait time in terms of the um, of the amount of time that polypes have been waiting for someone's attention, it didn't provide uh, any kind of uh, insight in terms of the pattern on the scatter plots, right? And other metrics that they've used. But then I was thinking, okay, you know, if I if I get to um, the, if, I, if I think about wait time in a different way, like uh, waiting for pull request, waiting for getting a um, review for a pull request of 1,000 line of code, um, waiting, for example, two hours for that is not the same as when I need to wait two hours for, let's say, five lines of code, right? 
So then, you know, I was curious to see, okay, what happens when I normalize these by the, uh, by the size of the PR, right? So, and then um, the interesting thing that, that was really um, kind of evident from um, almost all of the, or actually all of the, of the data set that I analyzed was that um, the wait time per size, by size, scatter plot actually uh, was having this power wall curve distribution. Meaning that as we decrease the size of the PR, the wait time per size goes exponentially up, right? So the way that I interpret this is that the cost of code review per line of code goes exponentially up as we decrease the size of the request. And that was really surprising insight because, you know, I was recommending small PRs all the time, right? And we tend to recommend in the industry, I mean, the whole industry kind of moved from big PRs to small PRs, which is really a great achievement, I would say, after a very um, um, long time. But on the other hand, what this told me is that actually the teams that are doing async code reviews and having small PRs are having way more waste in their process on the small PRs end of the spectrum than uh, on the bigger uh, end of the uh, bigger PRs end of the spectrum. And I, I had this uh, analogy in my head so again, I'm from the XP community, uh, test-driven development and having automated test suit. Um, if you have a test suit that takes you 20 minutes to get the feedback from, you're not going to run it after every line of code change, right? Um, because it doesn't make economic sense. So the way that we go about solving this problem usually is that we increase the batch size, meaning we increase the amount of changes that we introduce to the system before running the test in order to get the biggest bang for, uh, for a buck in terms of the feedback, right? So the slow feedback actually pushes us back into the bigger PRs end of the spectrum. So with the exponentially higher cost of code review per line of code, if, if I need to wait a day to get a review for a method rename, the system is telling me, hey, exp uh, code review is super expensive, so use it very wisely. So what I'm going to do, it kind of shifts the average behavior into the bigger PRs end of the spectrum. So increase the, uh, the bigger PRs. But again, um, there's, there's a problem on the bigger PRs end of the spectrum, which is lack of engagement. And lack of engagement, why is important, is we are using code reviews as a process to build the quality in, to provide the feedback, right? And if the system is preventing us, in a sense, from providing feedback, then we are actually not able to build the quality. So on the, on the bigger uh, size of the of PR, bigger PR size of the spectrum, we are not able to get the feedback, thus not able to get the quality. And on the smaller PR side of the spectrum with the async code reviews, we are incurring way more waste in our process because the wait time per line of code goes exponentially up. So the throughput of the thing goes down. So then we have this typical trade-off that we get to see speed versus quality or um, throughput versus stability that we get to see in, in DevOps, right? The whole Dota research and accelerate book, right? And it forces us to find this sweet spot, right? And um, that was kind of interesting. I was, I was thinking about why do we incur such a big um, cost of code review as we decrease the size of the PR? The reason is that as we decrease the size of the PR, the dependencies start dominating the life cycle of the PR because the review implies that we depend on someone, 
to get their feedback right. When the PR is bigger, most of the time we spend alone working on this until we ask for feedback. Um, so as we decrease the size of the PR, the wait time starts dominating the processing time, meaning the time that we have, uh, actively work on the item. So the um, so the lead time is dominated by the wait time, right? And and that was kind of really interesting to see um, because again, I was always kind of advising and recommending teams to go with the smaller PRs. But if they don't change the way that they work, they're actually incurring this trade-off of losing the throughput, right? And having to find the, the sweet spot. So that was really interesting thing to, to notice. And then thinking about, okay, you know, how, how do we solve this problem? Because this is actually, um, batch sizing problem that we get to see in lean itself is that we need to try to figure out how do we use this transaction cost of, of transferring the batch for the review and back the, for the authors and stuff like that. So the question was actually, um, if we have in, uh, increasingly um, higher cost of code review per line of code, how do we keep it constant as we decrease the size of the PR? So then, this idea of the of you know single developer, single single PR or a single Jira ticket doesn't really work because people are utilized um, to the max. They are working on other things, so they're not able to react immediately, and that's the thing that increases the cost of code review. So the question of how do we keep the cost the cost of code review constant is really tightly coupled with the availability of the actors in the system, actors meaning author and the reviewer. So decreasing the size of the PR means that we have to be able to react faster and faster for the PRs in terms of the feedback on the feedback answering uh, the questions and, and, and stuff like that as we decrease the size of the PR. And we're not able to do that if people are busy with something else. So the availability of the actors in the system has to go actually exponentially up as we decrease the size of the PR in order for us not to incur the exponentially higher cost of code view, which means that the throughput plummets. Because another uh, metric that I was looking at was the flow efficiency. Flow efficiency again coming from lean and the idea is, you know, if we have this work item flowing to our system, how or much percentual wise does do we spend working on it effectively compared to how much does it um, spend in the wait time? The higher the flow efficiency, the better or the more efficient our processes. And the thing that I saw with the flow efficiency is that the flow efficiency plummeted exponentially as we decrease the size of the PR. Why? Coming back to the wait time, which was increasing exponentially, right? So if the flow efficiency plummets, then the throughput also plummets because there's way more waste in the system. And the, the conclusion was that in order for us to be able to keep the cost of code review and throughput constant as we decrease the size of the PR, the availability of the people needs to get exponentially higher or to translate it in a different words, they have to get closer and closer and closer in time because they react faster to things and the, and the batch gets smaller. Um, and uh, in order to achieve this continuous code review, which is the thing that actually keep us at, at this constant um, throughput as we decrease the size of the PR. And that's kind of uh, this moment where I figure, okay, you know, maybe we're able to you know, get our cake and eat it too. And it really kind of also connected to the door research in a sense that 
it's not throughput versus stability, but it's both throughput and stability. So we either have both of those or we have not, um, none of these. So, so that was kind of idea, okay, we can have actually small batches and we can have uh, high throughput. So we can have high engagement, meaning enable having a higher enabler for the for the quality and we can have a higher throughput uh, by using continuous code review and then the question is okay you know for different teams continuous code review can mean different things but the way that i know about um, mechanisms and and practices that enable continuous code review after every line of code change is pair and more programming so that's the way that at least i connected these two worlds in my head of the XP with continuous code review, pair and more programming on the other hand, um, like, uh, kind of shifting uh, incrementally from the space of async code reviews uh, towards this. So that's kind of a gist of, uh, of a study itself. Yeah, which is amazing. I must say, I, I, I read it. And um, as we were discussing enough, what you did is very welcoming, right? Because uh, we are on engineering space and we don't have enough data about our own practices, right? The Dora report and the accelerate book from Nicole uh, Amble and, and Keen uh, was the, the major hit, but we don't have enough. So uh, it was really refreshing to, to read uh, your research. Uh, also, my confirmation bias kicked in. But also, I took lots of notes, right? I was loving where we are going. And um, here is, I'm going to challenge you, right? So. When we talk about these PR base, right? When I look back, I see these as coming from the open source community, right? From the, these concepts on GitHub, which in my opinion makes sense, right? Because uh, is I'm here doing my library and someone in Mexico just does a PR when I'm sleeping or, or just wants to change and I need to do this. And what I see is that we weren't self-critic. Right. Okay, this works for open source, it's on GitHub, let's just bring this to our companies. And I'm talking pre-COVID when most of us were co-located. Do you also see this as a, 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 a practice, the, the, the PR one, that crumble in inside of the companies without we, engineers, look to the context where we are? Yeah, definitely. I think... So I'm not sure to what kind of particular thing I can attribute the fact that we adopted something without understanding the context from which it kind of um, um, came from, right? The open source community and Git per se being a distributed version control system, which means very super easy branching, right? And the model which kind of um, optimizes for a lack of trust because I don't know my the contributors on the open source that they work with, right? Which is very different to what we have in the teams. If we don't have trust in the team, it's not even a team, I would say. So, uh, so, so I think definitely, I guess the tooling and some hype around it, perhaps kind of draw this, um, draw this in a sense into the, into a different context without really understanding, is it applicable there? Um, but there's other thing that I also notice is that we have been as engineers, I don't know about you, but it depends really on the on, on like uh, on each individual case. But I would say majority of people in the industry, me as well, uh, we were brought up in this individual contributor in a sense 
role model where I know I get to work out work uh, on my own thing. And at one point I integrate with someone, you know, who I call a teammate, but maybe they're not, I mean, like in a, in a, in a sense of, of, um, of, of a team, real team, like the, the cohesiveness and trust and vulnerability and psychological safety and stuff like that. So, so I think that also kind of the reason, I guess there was um, this, this um, scenario where, where it was, it really kind of fitted this, the way that we grew up as engineers, which is sad, I, I would say, to, to hear and, and, and see. I mean, again, I was also one of, of uh, all these um, being brought up in this kind of environment, so to say. Um, but it's also kind of reinforcing with the club, I would say, because uh, the tooling now and the vendors are also reinforcing this uh, when you think about it with, the, with this async collaboration in a sense without us really understanding the context in which it is good and it, which it should be considered, maybe we should consider something something else. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think that uh, the keys is using, uh, looking to the semantic of the words, right? Individual contributor, individual, right? So, uh, exactly. and uh, 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 my heuristic or, or anti-pattern that I always say, you shouldn't think about one person, one keyboard. That is not how things work, and everyone goes crazy. Yeah, but I have one person and one keyboard. Yeah, and stay away. Put two persons per keyboard at least. Then, then you're gonna see things going on. And I also was thinking about because uh, uh, I, I was not quite sure when you did your research. But what was your research group? Was co-located teams or was people? In a remote yeah. situation or a hybrid situation, because I also believe, because we were talking about uh, context and this in the social yes. technical space, what was this uh, the the context of the group when you did your study? Yeah, so it's uh, it's a typical kind of enterprise co-located team. So it had nothing to do with the open source community in a sense, uh, for the reason that we just talked about. Because I would expect this thing to see, and I think it's a it's a favorable model in this way, as you said, geo distribution, different time zones, you know, people not being able to be on sync in a, in a sync schedules. And, and, and for this context, it makes not total sense, but I was really curious to see how up, applying this model of working into co-located teams looks like. And, and it was also really kind of interesting to see in terms of, you know, um, we have this traditional way of thinking about pairing and more programming or ensemble is that you know pairing like two people uh, spending twice as much time working on a single thing right so it's kind of difficult with, with a certain share of engineers and managers is difficult to kind of justify in a sense but looking at it from this perspective of throughput and flow efficiency and lean for me it made really kind of um uh interesting kind of argument to look at it um, you know to have a different angle of seeing uh co-creation um modes pairing and mobbing in terms of the let's say throughput and efficiency of the team it, it definitely makes sense right and uh, um, i was involved in a devops transformation with a bank here in netherlands and, and, uh, there was lots of people oh devops this new stuff and they went 15 years ago through a lean transformation and i told them look this devops is just a sugar coat around what the xp community did and uh, what the lean community does so uh, bringing those together and people was, oh, so this is not new. No, our practices or DevOps movement grew because the cloud pop up. So 
basically we don't do capacity planning as we did in data center. How many servers do I need to buy? Uh, we just move our practices to, to okay, the demanding is going and I need an elastic type of compute power to help me. And that's why DevOps and people went, oh, okay. Once again, thinking about the context. But I also mm-hmm. was interesting, and these lots of questions with management, because then I went into costs and, and types of management. And my question here is, because I was almost derailing, sorry. You have the, the insights, right? And these lean concepts, the, 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 the floor planning and the, the, the availability, right? Don't use any resource above 80%. If not, waste will through, through the roof as the, the lean research. When you have this discussion with managers, how this goes, you know, show your research that, okay, you should build Slack in and, and, and have these buffers. How, how does that go when, uh, when you talk about this concept? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, so again, uh, different people have grew up in different environments. And my kind of principle is meet the people where they are. So it's, it's very easy to talk about, you know, flow efficiency, limiting working process, small batches and stuff like that. But it doesn't, it doesn't um, kind of ring a bell for a certain share of people um, growing in certain types of the environment. So it's really interesting to figure out how do we connect this to the, their day-to-day work in a sense. And what does this mean in the way that they work in, in terms of the way of working that they use? So um, there are a couple of really, I, I tend to share this um, couple of uh, videos from Hendrik Nieberg um, and um, about the, the resource um, efficiency, optimizing for resource efficiency versus flow efficiency, which comes from Lean. And he really kind of shows it in, in a really kind of descriptive and visual way and also limiting working process. So, those are the things that are kind of really simple to see and they click uh, um, kind of in a way that they enable some of um, further conversation. So I, I see them as really good um, conversation starters in a sense. And then we, from there, we start trying to understand, okay, let's see, you know, how it, how it goes for your current workflow, right? Let's see the amount of pull requests that you have open. What's the average age of them? Like how much of code is um, the inventory of unintegrated code across the time? How does that look like? Because it also ties back to the, you know, continuous integration, the way it has been defined on the C3 project in 1996, right? From uh, Ken Beck and stuff. So, because again, we have, you know, like, I'm sure that lots of the people from, from the same communities that we talk about have uh, very different ideas about what is continuous integration. For some people, it's a tool. For some people, it's a practice. I mean, it is a practice. It, that, that's the way that it was coined and, and the idea about it. But you know, how, how continuously are we integrating as well in that sense? So trying to drive the conversation from this perspective, you know, visualizing it in a really simple manner, like context independent of what we're kind of working on and also trying to connect it with, with the way that we work, looking at some of these reports and, and these metrics uh, are a really good conversation starter because the amount of wait time that I typically saw in the system is was like two or three times um, the, the amount of time that it took us to develop this thing. Meaning, so an example, um, it took us six months, for example, to push through our system 500 pull requests 
but the cumulative wait time for these 500 pull requests was, let's say, 28 months. So the, I mean, the, the, the numbers are not really accurate and, and that's not, not the purpose of those. The purpose of the metrics um, and the numbers is just to see the amount, the magnitude of differences that we have and to, to have this, um, just to have this effect of, of being able to start the conversation of, of something that we have been thinking about doing and, and visualizing the amount of ways that we have. So even if it's like 20%, uh, accurate that's a really huge amount of ways that we have in the system and enough way more than enough to start a conversation about it so um, those are some let's say um, rules of thumb or guidelines that i tend to use or heuristics in, in these uh, conversations yeah yeah and thanks for bringing this heuristic make the, the people where they are in the end this is a podcast about heuristics so it's, it's lovely so and we also are in a um another community domain driven design and the emphasis is design of course we can discuss the, the discussion that goes on for a long time is code design or not or is code the, the final artifact there are different ones but if we think about designs and your concept of small and big prs right uh, because uh, the, the cost of a small pr less code lines it's way bigger uh, but then also if a pr is smaller just looking to a really really small detail if a pr is bigger i might if the code is well structured see more how the model is did you have any insights or any inch how the 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 the, the, the size of prs or, or, or the, the cost of prs and the, the 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 design of a system design of a particular component how those forces go one against the other um uh, that's a good question but not really so i didn't go in, in depth in terms of the content of the of the prs i mean i removed the outliers that you know generate a lot of, lot of code but didn't involve lots of the human efforts so to say uh but yes the thing that they that they also tend to hear is that yes um if, if the pr is like what's the what's the too small pr or too big pr in a sense like what's the complexity I think it also goes back to this idea, you know, how how big a PR should be and, and, and people have like putting aside all of this study, just people talking about what is the, let's say, you know, too, too big of a PR. And I asked this question also on LinkedIn at one point, different people have different heuristics when it comes to this. Some people are looking at the number of lines code change. Some people are looking at the number of files change and stuff like that. So um but the thing that i got to hear is with this very with the smaller or very um, small prs is the thing that you also um kind of touched upon is what about the context are we able to understand the context of this change and is it even important to, to understand it right if it's a method rename right or it's kind of a refactoring changing the uh, the structure of the code without the change externally visible behavior, then, you know, maybe it's not something that, that we're interested in, but if it's some feature and I split it into 10 PRs, you know, am I, am I able to figure out from 10 PRs what is actually the thing that, that we try to develop or the main model that we try to, you know, implant in a sense. 
Um, but the thing that I see here is that the, I think it's not a problem per, this, per size of the PRs itself. I think, again, it's a problem because of this slippage of the context that people have, author and the reviewer, because they live in different kind of temporal context, so to say. And if we get them closer, they, what I notice it, is they get to have less problems with this issue that they talked about before, because they emerged in the same context um, as the author itself. So they're able to understand, okay, these steps, you know, what's the bigger picture that we're trying to, uh, to achieve. When I'm doing something else in the meantime, between reviewing 10 pull requests about one feature, then the, the, the picture is very fragmented because I, I have this temporal um, temporal slippage, so to say, of the context. And also I'm doing something else in the meantime. So I also have this context switching between what I'm working on and this pull request that I'm reviewing. So, and then when, what I notice is as we move people closer and they do more sync work, more co-creation, they have less of these kind of, of problems. Uh, and I think it's also the case with, you know, um, uh, collaborative, modeling, visual collaborative modeling in a sense, and sharing the same time context and same picture really doesn't doesn't need to have this overarching kind of um, synchronizer, so to say, or, or um, yeah, what's the word? The, um, yeah, like this, some kind of saga idea about all these 10 poor requests trying to make a sense of it because we are already in the context we know what we're doing so that, that's at least one thing that they noticed not in the research itself it's just from kind of my, my experience yeah. maybe for the next research right because also you propose solutions uh, uh, pair and assembling uh, programming so uh, uh, what are the we're going there and we see lots i think that uh, more and more people i have this feeling in different communities are going studying more our practices so i'm looking forward for next years with this and um we are getting to the the, the final part of the podcast and um, my last question is what are the resources that you recommend to the audience books or podcasts or blog posts or that they can continue investigating research reading more about this sure yeah so uh, as I mentioned, lots of these things are related to lean, uh, me coming from background of lean. So um, one really, like a really, really great book when it comes to this is the principles of product development flow from Don uh, um, uh, Reinstern. And that's one of the books that is, that is really packed with, with knowledge. Um, the other topic is the theory of constraints, which really dives into this I mean, it's very much connected in terms of uh, trying to understand the effects of high utilization in the system, a lack of slack and stuff like that. And I'm a, a huge fan of theory constraints. So, um, and we also talked about DevOps. And so going into the idea of the of, of a book of a Phoenix project, which was based on the theory of constraints and it was written in, in this novel style. Uh, so the book that, um, is kind of a seminal book in theory of constraints is the goal from Ellie Goldratt. Um, Phoenix project also, right? Um, that is kind of tying this idea with, with our world, so to say. And uh, yeah, there are a couple of also books that, um, that, that are helpful in a sense of um, understanding continuous delivery. And um, so from just humble and, 
the Firely and also the, the Accelerate book um, connecting the, the Dora research uh, and, and presenting the, the findings in it. Uh, those are some of the books that really kind of, I, I think, stand out as cohesive set of, of knowledge that, that are uh, kind of underlying all of these um, uh, this study that, that they did. So yeah, those are some of the things that I would definitely recommend. Great, great. So uh, I will make sense that uh, all of these references are on the description of these episodes. So the, the, the people that uh, uh, don't know or want to revisit can pick them. And once again, uh, thanks for your time and this lovely conversation it was very refreshing to, to be able to discuss your research. Thanks again for coming. No problem at all. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast. Visit our website, softwarecraftspodcast.com or visit our page on LinkedIn. Hope to have you next week.